This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, January 5th, 2023. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include bad news for users of password manager app LastPass. A data breach could put their information at risk. Looks like banning TikTok on government devices was a good idea after all. The app was recently caught spying on journalists. The anatomy of a phishing scam. One of our hosts was the recipient of an excellent example of the types of email you don't want to receive. And we'll begin to look back at the biggest Apple privacy and security news stories from last year, 2022. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Kirk. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. It's been a year since we've talked. No, it hasn't <laughs> been a year. It's just been a week. But it's that time when you got to remember to put 23 on your checks. Wait, what's a check? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I typically name files by the year. So I'll, I'll do like 2023 is the year and then the month and then the day. Okay. We've got some interesting security news, but we also want to talk about the year in Apple security and privacy, not the coming year, but the previous year. We'll do that in the second part of the episode. We want to start talking about a LastPass security breach. Now, LastPass is a password manager. In our last episode, we talked about the importance of using a password manager, and we talked about the importance of using a reliable password manager. And I think, Josh, at one point, you actually even said, make sure it's a password manager that hasn't been breached. Yeah. So basically, the the thing is, LastPass does have like a reputable brand name. At least it's got recognition. A lot of people have been using it for many years. Did have a reputable brand name. Right. Well, so that's what we're getting at here. LastPass just recently suffered a pretty serious security breach. And details kind of kept coming out about this over time, over the past several weeks. And we're at the point now where we we know a lot more than we did when LastPass first announced that they had a breach. And allegedly, now you can spend $100 and have somebody crack a password vault from LastPass. So if that's actually true, that's pretty bad. Now, that probably does require that the password used to encrypt your vault was not very good to begin with. But it gets back to what we were talking also about last week, that if you do use a password manager, you need to use a really good, strong, secure password as your single password to get into that vault. You mentioned something about, here's what we know about the breach. And I think every security breach has the same timeline. Step one, there was a tiny security breach. Step two, well, it was bigger than we said. Step three, well, it was a lot bigger than we said. And that's the case here. In fact, we're going to link to an article on 9to5Mac entitled Security Analyst LastPass Statement on Breach Includes Half-Truths and Outright Lies. Now, you can understand that this is a company trying to save their reputation, but when it comes to computer security, if they're lying, there's absolutely no way to trust this company ever again and ever like in like in I will never buy a Volkswagen after they lied about diesel fuel consumption, that sort of thing. Well, in any case, I, I think at this point, it's probably safe to say that I at least certainly I wouldn't recommend LastPass anymore. If you are currently using LastPass, 
it's definitely worth reading through the company statements and some of these other articles so you can make the determination for yourself whether it makes sense for you to switch to a different password manager. Remember, iCloud has a password manager, right? So, and you can use that on multiple platforms, even on Windows, not Android yet, but at least on, you know, all Apple platforms and on Windows, that's not bad. And it does, it just comes with your devices. It's built in. So you don't have to necessarily even pay anything for password manager if you don't want to. I think the iCloud keychain or password manager would be a lot more compelling if you had access through iCloud.com. In that case, whenever you're on a different computer, you would still have access. However, with Apple's two-factor authentication, you still need the second factor to get in. So it makes it a little bit confusing. I've mentioned many times I use 1Password and not only for passwords, I use it to store my software licenses, which don't need to be secure, but they're all in one place. I have a number of secure notes. I've got banking information, passports and all that. And the weakness of Apple's password manager is that it's only really passwords. You don't get the secure notes. Now you can use the notes app and you can password protect individual notes, but it's not the same. It's much more, there's a lot more friction to be able to do the same thing. Right. iCloud Keychain is very limited in terms of what it can do compared to a lot of these commercial password managers. So, you know, if you just need the basics, iCloud Keychain will probably work fine for you. If you need a lot of other features, it's worth checking out other password managers as well. And again, we have an article on the Intego Max Security blog talking about a couple of other password manager options that you may consider. And in fact, I'm going to go edit that article and remove any mention of LastPass, or at least I'll link to this episode of the podcast and say that LastPass has been breached. Yeah. Okay, we have some stuff on TikTok this week because TikTok has been banned on mobile devices issued by the U.S. House of Representatives. I saw that a couple of other states have banned it as well because they're afraid that the Chinese are spying on people. And you think, well, why would they spy on people? TikTok, why would they do that? Well, it turns out they spied on Forbes journalists, didn't they? Yeah, I, I think we mentioned this story a couple of months ago. The, the original story came out, I think, in October, and Forbes made the allegation that TikTok had spied on some of its journalists. And, you know, the parent company of TikTok, ByteDance, said, no, no, that's not true. We don't even have the capability to do that. What are you talking about? Well, it turns out that ByteDance actually did an internal investigation and found out that, yes, they, in fact, had spied on Forbes journalists. So Forbes wrote a piece about that and went into great detail about it. So what I want to know is TikTok can see what's in my TikTok account, right? Mm -hmm. They'll see my videos, which may not be for public consumption. It may be private, but they can't go outside of the TikTok app and get any other data off my device, can they? Well, they shouldn't be able to. So there's certain things that any app can collect about you. But generally speaking, yeah, apps are not supposed to be able to breach that boundary and collect information about you from other apps. That's not something that should be possible. Now, it may be possible to do that if they're exploiting vulnerabilities. Now, if they were to do something like that, then it's very likely that they could get kicked off of the app store. So, you know, a, a company like ByteDance, you know, that owns TikTok is probably going to be very careful about doing anything like that, even if they wanted to use their app to, you know, collect 
information about people secretively, well, they're going to have to really stay within the boundaries of Apple's, you know, developer guidelines, right? To make sure they're not going to get kicked out of the app store. So there's very limited things that an app like TikTok could do, but there's still a lot of things that they can collect about you within the app, right? First of all, you disclose a lot of information to the company when you create an account. They very likely have your IP address unless you're using a VPN on your uh, on your phone, you know, which can reveal a lot about you. We've mentioned before that in some cases, your IP address can reveal the neighborhood where you live, even the company where you work. So that that's information that you may not necessarily want to give out to everybody. I saw on the news this afternoon that there was a lethal attack against Russian soldiers in a barracks by the Ukraine army. And the Russian government actually came out and said that the Ukrainians were able to find the location of these soldiers because they had been using cell phones that they were not supposed to be using. So this means that maybe the Ukrainians intercepted some of the traffic and found the IP addresses, or maybe it's as simple as someone was taking selfies and sent them to their family in Russia, and they didn't strip the precise location information out of the selfies. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, it's it's certainly possible. Uh, there's metadata on anything that you're uploading, right? It, it, videos that you take that you upload to TikTok. If you recorded that video on your phone, it may include metadata such as your location. So there are definitely some potential ways that they could obtain information like that, that you may not expect that they would be able to get from you. Okay, we want to talk about phishing for a few minutes. I found a thread by someone named George Burke on Twitter who said he got a pop-up on both his phone and Apple Watch about a password reset. I didn't take action, then received a call from 1-800-MY-APPLE. Here's what ensued. Now, I find this interesting. First of all, what sort of pop-up about a password reset? Now, I have seen a couple of times on my watch saying that I had to re-enter my Apple ID password. It's kind of hard to do on the watch, even though it has a keyboard. I've ignored it and it nothing's ever happened. But this has been, I mean, this has to be the standard Apple dialogue that you get. Now, getting that both on the phone and the watch about a password reset, that's different. Uh, you know, sometimes when you update an iPhone, you may have to re-enter your Apple ID password to use all services. They have some kind of language like that. But this is talking about a password reset. And then getting a call. So this was something that was directed specifically at one person, right? This was not a scattershot attack. They knew the person's phone number and they somehow through some app or maybe through messages sent him an alert that there was a password reset. And then they called him and the person had been primed to get something from Apple, wasn't surprised to get a call from Apple, even though Apple never calls you unless you initiate a support call. Yeah. So one of the things that I need to say, first of all, about this is that it wasn't actually 1-800-MY-APPLE that was calling him. And right. yeah, it we talked spoofed. about this before that it is possible to spoof the caller ID of, you know, uh, so for an incoming call, it might appear to be from somebody that it's not actually from. So that is something you need to be very careful about. And of course, the reason they use 1-800-MY-APPLE is because your iPhone, I, I don't know if Apple still does this, but they certainly always used to include a V card or address book entry for Apple that included this phone number. And so most people, if not all people who use an iPhone have this number stored in their phone and it will show up as Apple if you get an incoming call allegedly from this number. So that's what was really going on here. And very likely what he saw was either 
you know, something that tricked him into thinking it was a, a, a password reset thing. Maybe he got a text message. It could be that maybe somebody found out his password from some other data breach and maybe he had two-factor authentication enabled. And so he was getting a secondary prompt as they were trying to break into his account. And then because of probably his data being revealed in some previous password breach, they probably had his phone number too. And so then they followed up with a phone call that appeared to be from Apple, but it actually wasn't. So this is a the type of scam that is very complex, right? There's multiple layers to this. There's definitely an organization involved in this. This is not something that an individual is pulling off against some single person that they're trying to target, most likely. Okay. I want to point out the last tweet in his thread. Bottom line, Apple needs to allow users to opt out of password resets via SMSs and remove phone numbers entirely. There is no password reset via SMS for Apple devices. So I think the notification he got was an SMS and he didn't really understand that it was an SMS. I mean, uh, nothing against the guy, but he's got like a Bitcoin t-shirt on in his Twitter profile. So he seems to be the kind of person that might be targeted by this sort of thing. But there is no such thing as a password reset via SMS. If you have to do a password reset with Apple, you have to go through the Apple ID website. You can't even do it over the phone with Apple. Now, I saw some people commenting on this saying Apple never calls you. Well, that's not true. You set up a support case with Apple and they will call you, in fact, almost immediately after you've set up the support case. Interestingly, here in the UK, you don't see Apple on the phone. You see a number that starts with 353, which is the country code for Ireland, which is where Apple's European support center is. But you don't see anything that says Apple is calling. It's when you pick up the phone and you hear that voice saying, you know, Apple's calling. If you're ready, press one. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about an interesting phishing email I got yesterday. Then we're going to talk about the year in Apple security and privacy. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users for over 25 years. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup, to keep your important files safe from ransomware and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Ventura and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Indigo Mac podcast listeners. Indigo, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, I want to also add a phishing email that I got today, which was quite convincing. Now, I immediately saw through it because I'm used to this sort of stuff. It said, reminder, your Amazon account has been locked. And it went on to say, we have temporarily placed your Amazon account on hold and canceled any pending orders or subscriptions because we detected unusual activity on it. 
Now, to me, it was clear because, well, the subject started with reminder. That's not, if your Amazon account is locked, it's not a reminder. The reminder means we already told you about it, right? And I did the usual, I was on my iMac, so I hovered the cursor over the the button to, to go to amazon.com and sign in. And I could see it was a very strange URL. In fact, it was a URL from LinkedIn. Yeah. So w- when we were kind of analyzing this email together, we were breaking this down, trying to figure out where this actually came from and what the deal was with this link. Well, clearly, it was a phishing email. There, there are certain things that make it uh, somewhat obvious to at least an experienced person, you know, somebody who's generally knowledgeable about phishing attacks and things like that, you could pretty easily identify that this was probably a phishing email. Now, if you're a novice, you probably won't be able to immediately recognize that this is phishing. One of the dead giveaways is that it's hello, Kirk, at, and then your your email address. So this is not something that typically most companies will do. They'll usually call you by your full name or at least by your first name. They don't usually say hello and then followed by your email address or the first part of your email address before the at sign. That's a thing I see a lot too. So that's kind of a dead giveaway if you know what to look for. Now, if you don't, if that's not immediately obvious to you, then you might fall for this. There's the rest of the of the appearance of this email looks very similar to something that you might legitimately get from Amazon. So that link that you mentioned, there's sort of a button that says sign into Amazon, and that links to actually, interestingly enough, a LinkedIn domain. But it's a LinkedIn URL shortener. Right. So if you hover over the link, again, you can really only do this easily on a Mac. If you were to tap and hold on that link on an iPhone, you might accidentally visit the page. And that's not something you want to do because that sort of gives away to the the fisher that you opened their email. And so you probably generally don't want to do this on an iPhone. If, however, you're on a Mac and you hover over it, you can usually see what URL this would take you to if you were to click on it. And so the the domain is lnkd.in, which, as you mentioned, this is a LinkedIn URL shortener. We actually looked it up and were able to confirm this is actually legitimately from LinkedIn. So did LinkedIn send Kirk a phishing email? Well, no. Probably what happened is that whoever sent the phishing email, they probably did whatever you have to do to get a LinkedIn shortened URL. Maybe they put up a post on LinkedIn or something and copied it and pasted it into these phishing emails that they're sending out. So what happens is if you, if you were to click on that link, it just immediately redirects you to this phishing site that for some reason, Google safe browsing, which protects you in Safari in Google Chrome and some other browsers as well, it doesn't know that this is a phishing site yet. And so it does it, normally, if you go to a known phishing site, you'll get a big dialog box or a big full screen alert telling you that this is a phishing site. Do not enter your information here. And you either don't have the option to continue or you have to you know, click on advanced and say, yeah, I want to continue anyway, if you actually want to get to that site. So evidently multiple things happened here. Somehow somebody is using LinkedIn technology And LinkedIn apparently doesn't know that this is being used for phishing purposes. Somehow 
Google doesn't know that this phishing site exists because they would be blocking it for anyone who's using their safe browsing technology, including Apple's Safari users. And so there's multiple companies that sort of should have known, but evidently nobody reported this to them or it took these companies a really long time to take action because it's been more than a day since you got this email. It's been more than 24 hours. Now, I went ahead and uh, clicked the link to see what happened, and I got to a page where I entered a fake email address and password and everything, and it was asking me for all this information. I then went to Google Safe Browsing and reported it. I reported it to Amazon. I forwarded it to Amazon's spoofing email address, and I reported it to LinkedIn as well. And I, I'm going to wait and see tomorrow if anything happens, if this is still active. So it's almost 6 p.m. here in the UK. It's the end of the day. Maybe, Josh, you can check later in the day your time and I'll check tomorrow and we'll see how long it takes for them to take it down. But th this is just basically we wanted to warn people that there are some really sophisticated phishing emails that are, it's easy to get fooled. You're in a hurry. You Maybe you did sign into Amazon with a new account and you're not surprised to see it. See, that's what they expect, right? That something out of the million emails they send, they're going to be a hundred people who did recently sign in from a new device and wouldn't be surprised to get the email. Okay. We want to move on to the year in Apple security and privacy, the past year, not the coming year, because we can't tell the future. We have an article on the Intego Mac security blog, basically going over month to month what the various events were dealing with security and privacy. And we'll be talking next week more specifically about malware. We're not going to go through everything right now on the podcast, but Josh, what are the highlights that stand out for you from 2022? One of the things that we talk about a lot on the podcast is vulnerabilities, and certainly that has been a theme throughout the year. A lot of zero-day vulnerabilities have been found in Apple software that Apple has patched, usually for at least the current operating system, and occasionally, sometimes they also patch zero-day vulnerabilities for the previous operating system on macOS, and sometimes also on iOS as well. So... Vulnerabilities, there have been a lot of them this year. We've had several articles on the blog uh, all throughout the year about uh, important updates that you need to make sure you get these security updates installed quickly because zero-day vulnerabilities were addressed. And zero-day vulnerabilities are vulnerabilities that can be exploited right now and that need updates. Yeah. And in fact, Apple usually says is that Apple is aware of a report of this vulnerability being actively exploited. That's the terminology that they used. So essentially that means it's been found in the wild, either in targeted attacks that somebody has alerted Apple to, or possibly even in public attacks that may be affecting a lot of people in some cases. So actively exploited is Apple's term for zero day vulnerabilities. To be fair, for the non-initiates, actively exploited is a lot more, makes a lot more sense. Zero day sounds like, I don't know, this thing is on sale right away tomorrow, right? What is zero day? It's a day when you have nothing to do? What is it? <laughs> right. So so that's Apple's terminology. There, there have been some interesting specific things, like there was a vulnerability found in Apple's T2 security chip. Now, Apple only used the T2 chip for a limited number of Mac devices for just, a, I think it was a couple of years that they had T2 chips. And then they switched to the M1 processor and its successors, which don't 
require the separate T2 chip anymore because that security technology that was part of that chip is now part of that whole system on a chip that is the M series processors. But you might have an older Mac, so you do need to be aware of this. In fact, some of the most popular stories on the Intego Mac security blog are about using Mac OS on older Macs and about updating old Macs and keeping old Macs running. In particular, in March, you published an article about the fact that Apple only patching the current and the previous operating system puts a lot of people at risk. And if you're running an older Mac and you're trying to update it to work with Ventura, which the number of people are doing, you need to be very careful about this. Right. And now at the time, uh, Mac OS Monterey was the most recent uh, major version of, of Mac OS. And it took them a total of six and a half weeks. Uh, and by the way, and significant public pressure resulting from this article that I wrote, which got picked up by a lot of Apple news sites. Um, before Apple finally released patches for the same vulnerability for that also affected macOS Big Sur and macOS Catalina. So it took six and a half weeks. That's a very long time to wait, especially for a known actively exploited vulnerability. Um, we, we tried to give a, a rough estimate of how many Macs that probably affected. Um, it's very difficult to tell because unfortunately we don't really have a lot of publicly available data about this because of some weird technicalities of how Apple reports the Safari browser. Basically, everything says it's macOS Catalina ever since macOS Catalina. So Big Sur on uh, all of those browsers now just say that they're macOS Catalina. And so websites can't really get a, a good idea of what Mac operating system is really accessing their website. Um, and that's been a way that we've been able to figure out roughly what the Mac operating system market share is in the past. So we kind of have to make, had to make an estimate, but it was roughly 35 to 40% probably of all Macs at the, at this point in time were affected by these vulnerabilities and Apple was not patching those vulnerabilities. Six and a half weeks is a ridiculously long time to wait. And sometimes Apple just doesn't patch these actively exploited vulnerabilities for past versions of Mac OS. So this is a really important thing to be aware of and a good reason to stay on the very latest version of Mac Mac OS and iOS as well. I want to just point out that Apple has gotten more press for less money than ever before in the past year and a half. It's the cheapest product Apple has ever released other than a cable, the AirTag, at 25 bucks each. There is so much press about this and not all of it good. And so in April, we took a look back at the first year of AirTags. There have been all sorts of issues of stalkers and abusers, and they've been used to steal cars. And we linked to an article about the AirTags, and we discussed it on an episode of the Intego Max Security Podcast. It is really interesting how much information there was about this. Just this week, there was a story about a woman who tracked her luggage, I believe, on United Airlines, and United kept lying about where it was. And she was like, look at my iPhone. I see where it is. And so the, this is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it's giving users a lot of power to find items. On the other hand, it's enabling stalkers and abusers in very strange and, and dangerous ways. Yeah, and to to be fair, Apple has been making some improvements to the AirTag firmware to 
make it more difficult, a little, at least a little bit more difficult for stalkers to use AirTags in that sort of way. However, it doesn't completely prevent AirTags from being used by stalkers. Interestingly, we've also seen people starting to use AirPods in maybe you could say slightly more sophisticated attacks. Cer- certainly, they're more expensive attacks because if somebody leaves their AirPods in somebody's bag, they can do the same thing. They can track where those AirPods currently are. And there was a story we talked about a couple of months ago, I think, where somebody said that a man left his AirTags in her bag and she went to go return them. And he said, oh, no, it's okay. You can keep them. Well, that's extremely suspicious. (laughs) Okay, we're going to stop here with April. And next week, we're going to continue talking about the year in Apple privacy and security. And we're also going to talk a little bit more about malware next week. So tune into the next episode to learn everything about 2022. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.